Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode three of Unfiltered Leadership with Paul, Chris, and Kalen. We're grateful that you guys could join us today, and we're going to be hosting Technical Sergeant Dorothy Knox and her husband, Josh Hancock. We're excited for everything that they're going to provide to everybody. We're excited for you guys to join us. Stay tuned. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another great episode of Unfiltered Leadership with Paul, Chris, and Kalen. It's an amazing morning because today we get to stand with and listen to an amazing married couple, but we'd like to kind of commend um, the wife and the NCO that's behind this family, and we'd like to welcome the Knox and Hancock family. Welcome Texar and Dorothy Knox, who is PACAF's PME Instructor of the Year. She is also PACAS Force Support Special Duty NCO of the Year. And her husband, Josh, has been employed with Fairbanks Correctional Center for the past four years. And they have been able to strengthen their marriage for 12 years. And they have three beautiful children. And we got to meet uh, your daughter today, which is absolutely awesome. She 100% looks just like you. But we want to welcome you guys to the podcast. We're grateful to sit with you guys. It's truly awesome. A lot of amazing talks today. But thank you for you guys being here. How do you guys feel? Oh, it's it's a pleasure being here and humbling that you know just to be asked to come and share our story and speak with you. Josh, how's your day going? Oh, it's great. I mean, I'm happy to be here. Happy to talk with you guys and hope everything goes well. I hope you guys are planning out your weekend. It's beautiful. It's sunny right now, and everybody's got a lot of plans. I hope you guys are doing your best to stay away from the mosquitoes for sure. Alaska <laughs> state bird, but um. <laughs> It's going to be awesome. We're going to dive into a lot of things. I think one of the first things we kind of want to open up before we start passing around the room is we really want to get to know who you guys are. We'd love to hear you guys. We hear that you guys have an amazing story. Dorothy, you have a lot to, to give to people. And you obviously being an instructor, I think it is clearly evident. I mean, put the, the accolades and all the things behind you. It is clearly evident you're passionate about people. And you care about taking uh, care of people's hearts and minds and influencing people. I think everyone in the wing knows that. Um, but it's evident with you, with both of you guys together as a family, that both of you guys really mirror each other in a lot of aspects of relationship, communication, trust. And uh, we're really excited to hear a little bit of that background and get into some other topics and everything. So thanks. Like, truly, thanks, guys, for being here. Thank it's Friday. You, you guys didn't have to be here, but it's awesome <laughs> that you guys yeah. are here. Yeah, if, I think um, there's this concept of uh, ladders of inference, right? Like the the things that we go through in life, the, the values that are bestowed upon us by our parents, where we grew up, the culture that surrounded us, that shapes our assumptions about the world, um, helps us come to conclusions. Uh, so I think what's, what's really important is that we get some of that background for you guys. So if you guys if you just wanna take, take a little bit of time to go through your stories, because I think that, that'll set the context of where Dorothy and Josh are coming from when when you give your perspective on things? So for me, my parents absolutely set the background for you know who I am and the things I do today. So my dad, he was 13 years old. He was in Sports Illustrated. The August, I think, 1966 edition as a 13-year-old, he was 6'2". And one of the things was because of his leadership when he was leading his team to a championship. On top of that, he was one of the first blacks in the middle school and the high school when they were going through desegregation. So again, like his values and even my mom, she grew up in East Texas. 
So she has been there, she's gone through, dealt with difficult situations. And for me and my sisters, I am one of you know three girls in my family and they always taught us you know the importance of treating people with respect regardless of anything else it's how it's so important and my mom always said that she was harder on us as girls just because she wanted us to understand that our actions have uh, they have what's the word? Consequences. consequences yes thank you and she wanted to make sure that the things that we do in life, that not only we impacted individuals in a sense where we were giving back and we were educating, because both of my teachers, oh, both of my parents were teachers and coaches. My mom was my coach in middle school. My dad was a teacher and a coach in high school when I got to high school. So education has always been there for me and has always been valued within my family. Where did they grow up at, if you don't mind me asking? So my dad grew up in Temple, Texas, close okay. to Austin, and my mom grew up in Newton, Texas, which is close to Jasper. Were you born in Texas? Yes, I was. I was born in Fort Worth, Texas. Okay, and Josh, where are you from? I'm from a little small town called Coons, Texas, which is about 20 miles north of Beaumont, Texas. So you guys are Texas pride? Yes, yes. Full absolutely. Blown. All the way. <laughs> Man. That yes came quick. Yeah, it really. Yeah, it was no, so yeah, hesitant. Really. So yes. like, there, yes. there are some things I love about Texas. I do <laughs> I, I smoke all my meat, Texas style, like heavy, heavy pepper, heavy salt, Smart heavy garlic. Man. Like, you got to you gotta do it right. But, I, you know, Texas has got a lot of amazing things. But one thing that I love about people from Texas is the pride is unbreakable. And I think that's really cool. Like, there was no doubt. There was, I don't even think there was one breath you guys took there when, when we asked that, that you guys made it out. Oh, like, Cowboys oh, all the way, right? No doubt. Oh, that hurts. That hurts. That don't so hurt me. let me ask you, smile. Josh, you know, Dorothy, you mentioned that your dad was at 13 years old, 6'2". How intimidated are you, if you don't mind me asking, like, are you intimidated by him as a father-in-law or when you first met him or knew his background? Because, I mean, later on you kind of share some things uh, about who he became. And, like, were you intimidated at all? Really and truly, no. Um, when I first met her dad, um, he was, I mean, he's a big guy, but he was a real soft-spoken, real humble guy. Um, welcomed me with open arms. And That's I amazing. Mean, we've had some some genuine conversations That's as far well as me dating his daughter and you know it was it was good um you know he passed away a couple years back and and it was it was hard for i know it was hard for her and her family but it was hard for me too yeah. you know and it was one of those things it was, he was like i said he opened me i mean he welcomed me with open arms and he was a big teddy bear i mean he was you know he loved his girls and he loved his family and you know i appreciated that a lot um I appreciate him opening, you know, welcoming me to the family as well as he did. That's incredible. That's awesome. Dorothy, uh, so now here in, you know, obviously we've known each other for a few years now and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, knowing a little bit about your background and hearing now a little bit more about your dad, um, who was in the NFL as well, hearing yeah. that he was a teddy bear. Can you, uh, <laughs> can you, uh, which is kind of, kind of ironic, but, uh, can you speak to, uh, you know, maybe some memories of that as well? Just, uh, his playing career and some of the accolades that, uh, that you were kind of touching yeah. on there. So my mom and my dad had told me when in high school, he had been recruited for quite a few different colleges and he had already signed with university of Houston. And he has a brother who is nine months younger than him. So they both were seniors at the same time in high school. However, his brother didn't receive a scholarship. And so my dad, he actually went to the other colleges that were trying to recruit him. 
and they, he asked them, hey, you know, if you sign me, you know, I'll sign with you if you sign my brother as well. And luckily, it was a Wharton Junior College, ended up giving his brother a track scholarship. So my dad ended up playing at Wharton Junior College for a year and a half, and SMU, Southern Methodist University, a D1 private you know, university, ended up signing him. So he only played at Wharton for a year and a half, went on to play at SMU for the rest of his career, and then got picked up by, he played with Houston, at the time, Oilers. yeah, they were Oilers and yeah. they were the Texans, but he played for Houston Oilers, Kansas City Chiefs, and then he played in the Canadian League for a while. Wow. Can you, Josh, can you go back? So I think we got a little bit of Dorothy's parents' story, right, and a little bit of a picture of where she grew up. And then, so before you guys got together and started dating <laughs> and you met her dad, and so there, there's little Josh growing up, what does that look like? Um, so I'm from a little small town, like I said, from Coons, Texas. Um, I, I grew up, you know, in a family of four. Um, my parents, my dad was a truck driver, been driving trucks for 30 some odd years, still driving to this day. Uh, my mom, who was, I, I call her our fireball, um, she was a disciplinarian in the house. Um, she worked, she worked extremely hard as well. Um, but she kept us in line. I mean, I was, I'm the oldest of four kids, it's three boys, one girl. Um, my my parents basically instilled in me hard work. You know, you're, you're only gonna achieve something in life by working hard, and no matter what you do in life, you show people respect, but you also show your work. It's not about what you say or what, you know, comes out of your mouth, it's what you do. And I, I live by that, and I work extremely hard. She knows I work a lot, um, but we also cherish that, and, and I try to pass it on to my kids as well. You know, I, I hope they get those same values and I mean my, I have a great relationship with my parents um, I, I can even go back even further my grandmother who I stayed with for two years after my mom and dad and I moved to, to Coons I, I stayed with my grandmother in Sealsby, Texas which is 10 miles up the road which is where my mom is actually from um, she was a hard working woman who passed away last year um, she was the, the go-getter, she worked three jobs, provided for seven kids on her own. Um, she was my go-to whenever I was mad at my parents. She was someone I can always talk to. If I needed anything, she was always there for me. But just the hard work factor is basically what, you know, they instilled in me and they still, I cherish it to this day. A lot of people look at that, you know, with the phrase actions speak louder than words, you know, putting in hard work, putting in grind, having grit and to be able to do certain things. It speaks loud to a lot of people. That's awesome. What, um, so is it fair to say both of you guys had, had pretty solid relationships with your parents? Yes. They were impactful in your life in a positive way, right? So yes. nods around the table. I, I think that's, that's an important kind of starting point because not everybody can say that, right? Like everybody, everybody comes from a different background, and I, I think it's important as we kind of get into context and your thoughts on um, what's going on that that probably shapes some of that. Fair uh -huh. to say. Yes. Yes. So, so what about what did what did your neighborhood look like when you guys were growing up? What did your town look like? What did they value? What was the culture of the of the town? Well, for me, um, like I said, I'm from a little small town. Um, you still have some issues when it comes to racial things. On one side of the tracks, you had a lot of the blacks stay on one side, the whites stay on the other, and it's still 
I mean, it's better now, but growing up, it was still that way. It, it's one of those towns where sports kind of brought everyone together. When you play sports, everybody, you know, rooted for your team, of course. <laughs> you know, in my little school, yeah, football was, you know, dominant in Texas. It's always good. But basketball was like our main go-to thing. And I was – I excelled in basketball. I played it pretty much throughout my whole life. Um, they said we met at the same college. So it was like a fortunate thing, but we both got scholarships for basketball. Um, like I said, whenever you came to sports, everyone – Jailed together, everyone rooted for your teams. When we made it to the state tournament my senior year, the whole town was basically like a ghost town because everybody was at the state tournament. Um, <laughs> my daddy used to say, if you're going to uh, steal something, you know, when we go to state, that would be the time to do it. <laughs> if you're going to rob a store, that would be the time to do it because nobody's there. Because nobody's there watching. Yeah. yeah, the cops are gone, but, everybody. I mean, I, my little town, you know, it, it it's, it's a lot better now. Like I said, uh, a lot of things have changed since I've been gone. Um, but there were some issues at times, and for the most part, like I said, everyone, I got along with everyone. Everyone loved Josh because I was, you know, a good athlete. I played football, played basketball, played baseball, ran track. Um, was a decent athlete all the way around, but like I said, I excelled in basketball. Luckily, I got a scholarship to play at Northwestern State where I got to meet her, and the rest is history. We'll have to explain that story. <laughs> when did, how long ago did you guys meet? My no, actually, so we actually met the first time on my recruiting trip. He was coaching at the university at the time. Mm -hmm. So we are eight years apart. Yeah. He was coaching at the university at the time, and the school was trying to recruit me. And I remember going to the office. <laughs> I was with my coach. He's laughing. I was with my coach, and he, looks, he looked young, extra young, when I met him. And so I was talking to my coach. I was like, hey, you know, I asked him, is that a player? He was like, oh yeah, let me come, let me introduce you. He's like, I want you to meet Coach Hancock. I was like, well, that's a no, that's a no-go. <laughs> and so when I actually got there the following year, he had moved back to Texas, but his brother played at the university with me. And he had came down to visit him and we met again. And from there we started dating. So how old are you, Josh? I am 41. 41, oh, oh all right. How old are you? Exactly. Don't look, yeah. so, I mean, that is in like, you, you don't look 41 face, so. whatsoever. I, 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 I know you're older, too. I'm 33. You're 33. I, I Josh, do. you do not yeah. look 41 Yeah, we don't. We only have listeners, not viewers this time, but I think it's important <laughs> for everybody to know Josh is a good-looking, young, 41-year-old. <laughs> 41-year-old. <laughs> he looks high. Yeah, um, I'm 40, so. I'm I, I oftentimes throw this in my brother's face. When we go to the clubs or go to bars or anything, like, they get carted before I, I mean, I get carted before they do. They never get carted. They just let them go in, and then when I get there, it's like, uh, can I see your ID, sir? And I just find it funny. So it's, not, it's not a bad thing, I throw right? It in face so off. what year was this that you guys met? You said that was your freshman year, right, Dorothy? Yeah, so it was 20, 2004, 2004, because I started. 2005, you started. Five, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That was my freshman year in high school, so. Uh, way to make me so feel old. That was mine. <laughs> so uh, we talked about a little bit about you know your your hometown the feel the culture things like that uh for you josh um dorothy what was it like for you in, in temple and then uh maybe you know your time in college as well what was the um what was the culture and the the, the pulse there as so, far as uh you know racism goes and mm -hmm. those types of things in temple my that's where my dad grew up mm -hmm. and moving back everyone knew him and he spoke to any and everyone like if he saw you down the street and he didn't know you he was still speaking to you. He was always picking people up, giving people rides, and that's just how he was. 
So for us, yes, there were certain things as far as racism going on, but through his actions, we never make we never we never let that make us fearful of interacting with other individuals. Like we were still outgoing, still spoke to people, and I can definitely say when it came to Temple, the the students and the kids around Temple, the camaraderie when it comes to sports thing, basketball was a big thing for us growing up. My dad, we, he always had us on some type of sports. In middle school, I played four sports. In high school, I played five in, until my, what, my sophomore year. Then I ended up playing four, but he always kept us in sports because that's how you can connect with other individuals. Yeah. So not just connect, but then the discipline side of things. Mm -hmm. That's where you learn to be resilient. And I know we use that so much, you know, resiliency, but you truly learn how to move past those times where mentally you feel like you just want to quit. Mm -hmm. And as a coach, with my mom and dad both being coaches, that's one thing they taught us was through sports is going to really tell who you are as a person. Yeah. Are you just going to lay down and roll over? Or are you going to continue to push through those hard times? So sports was really big in our town as well. With the when it came when it comes to racism, the sports brung everybody together because. When you go to games, nobody's thinking mm -hmm. about the person sitting next to them. They're thinking yeah. about what's going on in front of them. Yeah. So. Right, the field the field is a great neutralizer yeah. in some degree, right? Because yeah, it's really about your performance. So, and one thing I heard, Dorothy, that, that you talked about, and um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like one of the things you were taught, either, either you know, overtly or, co or covertly, was that one person's actions doesn't speak for a whole either either a race or a sex or community. a culture or a community, right? Like individual actions are, sometimes they're just the actions of that individual and they have nothing to do with anybody else, which I think is a, is a good thing to remember um, always, but especially currently what's going on when you're, when you're watching the news or when you're reading Facebook or that's, that's a kind of a good methodology and it sounds like you guys had, had that. Yes, absolutely. And, then, and I was talking with my mom, it was probably a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about everything that's going on and you see these signs of you know what's going on with police officers and you know white privilege and all of this and my mom was saying when it comes to racism it's it's not the whites it's not you know hispanics it's race the people who are racist and that's how you have to look at it the people who are racist the so actual problem the actual, yes yeah. the core the core yes. root of the problem yeah yeah, yeah great point uh, chris i think i cut you off i'm sorry Did you no I, I was gonna say the same thing it just seems the common theme between the two of you is, is sports unite everyone, and um, you know it, it. I can't help but think of the the relationship there. The, the again the commonality with with the military. Um, we have a common cause or a you know um, a reason why we joined and you know put together, and it forces a lot of people into uh, you know a different situation than what they grew up in. To you know to my um, own personal story, like growing up in the Northwest, like out of 250 people uh, in my graduating class, maybe 20 were African American, um, and handful of you know uh, Asian and Hispanic, but I would predominantly white. Uh, fast forward a few years, and I get to Florida, and I'm in Lower Alabama, which is the Panhandle, Florida, and it was a huge culture shock for me, but. Um, the military in general is, is like sports, though. I mean, you have one common goal, um, whatever that is within your you know, personal AFSC or 
uh, for the civilian listeners, like your job, um, your specific job that you that you hold. Um, but touch on that, like um, you know, sport, can you re relate the two sports and the military, and and how you see a commonality there with um, banding together? Um, I, I, I mean, when you're talking about band, I, I'm not a military person. I've just been around the military because of her. Sure. Um, but when I when I look at sports, I mean, I I taught and coached for nine and a half years, okay. um, and this is before she decided she wanted to join the military. So. For, for me as a coach and, and being a former player, a lot of things that I've seen when it comes to sport, when, you, when you're when teaching a kid, you know, it's about the team, not about you, mm -hmm. then it makes everything else so much better. It's Yes, you have to perform individually, but you also have to keep it within the perspective of what are we trying to accomplish as a team. Um, as a basketball player, um, you know, you got to play your position and you got to play it to the best of your ability but at times you're going to have to help someone else out um, I, as a coach i taught my kids to not not only think about you know how am i going to help the next person but how am i going to make my team better in every aspect whether it's offense defense um, whether it's you know communication which a lot of people look at communication and they might throw it out the back burner but as a coach you have to communicate well with your players. I have to be able to teach him, you know, if I wanted him to play in the post, I got to teach him how to play in the post. Mm -hmm. What, what are, do I want him to play behind? Do I want him to half wrap? Do I want him to play in front? Mm -hmm. I have to teach him that, but then him as a guard, I would have to teach him, okay, I want you to, you know, you, you up top. You got to get everybody on the same page, but you also got to be the one, you're my quarterback up there. You got to be the eyes and ears for the guys that's behind you, yeah. but you have to play your position and then the person next to you, you have to be able to trust him to play his position as well. And everything kind of comes together. Mm -hmm. So Josh, you, you hit something real powerful there. You hit something, you know, I think everyone at the table, especially you guys, PME instructors, 100% like value this is, mm -hmm. we have to be able, when we lead people, when we coach, when we mentor, develop people, the standards are what we're trying to teach is probably the same across the board. Right. But how you invest in your communication with each individual person has to be caveated to, how, what is their motivator? You know, yes. what is going to get them to be able to see this is the envision and everything, especially when you're dealing with a linebacker. Or let's say you're just talking mm -hmm. to the line, and then you talk to your QB, and then you talk to your fullback. All that different communication right. tactic is going to be different because they have to severely see, like, what it is, what is their role with everything. And I, I'm glad you hit that. That's awesome. Yes. I, I mean, I look at a lot of things when I, when I talk about sports. You, you know, you're looking at kids, and every kid learns different. Um, some kids are visual learners, some kids are auditory, some, some kids are both. They have to do everything. And as a coach, you have to figure that kid out and you have to be able to implement how you teach each person, each kid individually to where it all comes together as Absolutely. one. Um, for me, just being around sports, I love it. I'm glad that we have kids and our kids are getting into sports. Mm -hmm. um, it, it opens up a whole other dynamic. Because you may be able to score the basketball, he may not be able. He may be a defensive player. Mm -hmm. I have to be able to piece it all together as a coach and be like, okay, I gotta put this to play to his strength, this to play to his strength, mm -hmm. and make it all work together. Yeah. But as a coach, you know, you have to figure those things out. And I'm sure you guys, being in the military, y'all, you have the same kind of concepts, but maybe in a different thought process, maybe, yeah. of teaching it. But for it all to work, my communication has to be good. And great for each one of you before it all come together. And 
Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. To, to hit on that, when it comes to playing on your strengths and still identifying your weaknesses when as a team or as a leader, it's important to highlight those differences. Mm -hmm. Not to downplay them or anything, mm -hmm. but highlight them, mm -hmm. respect them, because those differences are what are gonna make you a, a really good team. Those are the differences that are gonna allow you to win. And I think that's so important. I talk to the students about that. Is when you're a supervisor, you want to identify those differences that people have and you wanna play on those strengths. And when you play on those strengths, then you allow other individuals to see how much or what those individuals really do bring to the table. So, I mean, I think that's important too, to highlight that. You guys probably see it within your marriage too, right? You guys probably see the things that you're strong at that Josh, you don't hold, that oh, you yeah. probably don't have, oh, yeah. and sure. vice versa. Mm -hmm. But I got For one sure. serious question. I got something <laughs> yeah. that I've been thinking about. If like you don't know, she'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I have something that I, I've been thinking about for like 15 minutes. Like, are you guys a competitive couple with each other? Not, I'm not talking about with other couples. Because I can't imagine, like, if we all brought our spouses in here and it was Jenga or if it was, like, Hungry Hippos, we'd get after it. But I'm talking about you guys against each other. Let me just say this. <laughs> when it comes to us competing, it's almost like a divorce waiting to happen. <laughs> because yeah. both of us wants to win. And if one loses, who usually wins? No, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> so the thing is, the thing is. That meant, I took that to mean Josh usually wins. <laughs> and, I, I played the fifth. Hey, so we played basketball. <laughs> so we do a lot of PT at, at our ALS schoolhouse here. And uh, we played basketball a couple times. And Dorothy's, like, taking me down into the block and stuff. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. po and post me up. Yep. She made a fool of me. I'm not going to lie. Like, turn around, fade away, jumper. And she's competitive. Like I've seen it firsthand. So very. I feel, That's what you I, get, soup. Yeah, <laughs> what you yeah. I, I, I feel free, right? Put them on your floor. Against each other, like we're talking trash. And so when we get home, it's like. All right, we need time right. apart. Yeah. I go downstairs, she goes. Yeah, we need time apart. And I think that's how, yes. yeah, you yes. just yes. said, it. like, every For couple has to decompress. But yes. yeah. I think, you know, competition is fun when it's mm -hmm. healthy, like, no doubt. And it's fun, it puts an edge on things, and you get to see a different style of the person you love. And It's not um, healthy at the moment. Yeah. yeah. But, but you guys are both, let me, you guys are both Dallas Cowboys fans. So yeah, one of you guys is not good. a Texans fan, the other is not a Cowboys? No. no. So both. So you guys are both taking L's together. <laughs> Uh, no, we don't that, take L's. Okay. I mean, we 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 I'm have just taken, we have taken L's, but we've been very successful. So, what's your team's name? I'm in Indianapolis. Club. Oh no, you can't talk about the Cowboys, y'all. Um, I've been holding on to something <laughs> for, for a minute. <laughs> Let me uh, get us back on track. Um, I, you know, from from the get-go, we started this conversation. I heard the word coach several times, right? You yeah. talking about your upbringing and talking about you were a coach, and um, I I love the notion of a coach versus a referee mm. in life. And, and the idea of a referee um, points out infractions, identifies infractions, puts you in timeout, mm -hmm. right? Offers penalty, but there's no, there's no leading the individual through the growth for the referee. The referee is not taking time to go over to the player right. and like, hey man, like, like maybe we could work on this, but that's the coach's job, right? The coach, Correct. the coach is there to, to help them through that process. And I think, um, Obviously, Dorothy as an ALS instructor, as a coach, I mean, I hope you're approaching it from a coach, but you don't, you don't win PACAF level awards for refereeing, right? Um, Josh, how do, you, how do you approach that mentality from a, from a correction standpoint 
Is there an opportunity for you to provide some coaching? There, there is. Um, there, there is a lot of, and, and even when I first took the job and I interviewed for the job, the one thing I told them was, I, I am there to better people. I don't know how I will be able to implement it right off the bat, but I have figured out my ways. Um, basically, me just being a genuine person and talking to those individuals, getting to know a lot of their background has helped me open up a lot more to them and being able – there are some things I can say and can't say to them, but there are also things that I can – okay, I can relate to, and I can pull the individual aside and say, hey, man, you know, things will get better in life if you try maybe this or – you know, if you look at life in this perspective and take this away from your life, move this person away or that individual away, maybe that will help you succeed once you get out of here. Um, I, I look at it as an opportunity to coach them as well in a lot of aspects. Um, most of the people I deal with in corrections, they're human just like you and I, and I, I don't judge them by any means. Um, I, I oftentimes tell them, you know, you make your own choices. What you do from here, it's totally up to you, not to anyone else. You know, we have a lot of individuals in there that, that have issues with drugs. Understandable, alcohol is a big thing. Um, you still have a choice. That's your choice when you get out of here because most of them sober up when they get in there, they get off the drugs. And they're perfectly great people in there. Yeah, they there's just, two roads that they can Yes, take. they just choose the wrong thing when they get right. out. Um, I, I look at it as opportunity just for me to talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, and I do quite often, um, trying to help people lead them in the right path. Um, and sometimes I do give them personal things that I probably shouldn't sometimes, but I let them know that, hey, I've messed up in life. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I've done stuff that I'm not supposed to. I just didn't get caught like you did. or right. You know what I mean? Because we've all made those mistakes. Absolutely. And it's just something that I try and get those people to understand that, hey, we all make mistakes, but it's what you do from this point forward. You know, to, yeah. to, to change it is totally up to you. The other another thing you said uh, that I I really liked is when you when you talked about coaching, um, you mentioned that it's it's your responsibility as a coach to figure out what how that individual learns best or the team dynamics. You know, I think I think that's a great concept for leadership and in life in general is is as a leader, I think the the burden of ownership for figuring out that relationship is on us. And obviously there's got to be some give and take, right? Like you can't pour so much into one individual and they just continue not to take it. But uh, in, certainly in the beginning, I think the ownership lies primarily with us as the leaders or the coach or whatever. Um, Josh touched on something else as well. Right at the very beginning, you said uh, the genuineness, like the authenticity, the um, not being fake. Like people are going to... Uh, you're going to be approachable to people when you come across like that. If you come off, for lack of better words, LHFs, the lying, hiding, and faking, uh, people are, you know, typically not going to come to you when they're in need. So, uh, Dorothy, like, what successes have you found um, with being authentic or genuine, or uh, and what's your approach, like leadership approach? So, especially in the classroom, and even with my airmen, when you know I was in CE and I was supervising them. The thing for me is when we get in the classroom, this is a safe place for us. This is a safe environment. So I want us to have those hard, those difficult conversations. I want you to tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly of the things you've gone through. Because as leaders, if we don't recognize those negative situations, then we're not going to grow. We're, we're not 
as a supervisor, you're not going to be able to empower your troops and be better for them if we don't have those hard conversations. So for me, it's opening up and telling your experiences, telling how that impacted you, and then telling, hey, if you go keep if you continue to go along the same lines as some of your supervisors that you've had that are negative, how is that going to impact your airmen? So then it, it falls on you as a supervisor to make the choice. Are you going to continue to treat people the way you were treated negatively and you saw the impact of that? Or are you going to move forward trying to really get to know your airmen first? Because that's what it starts, it starts with. You have to have that relationship. You have to build that rapport with your airmen before you can do anything else. Relationships will be the key to, I mean, trust, communication, mm -hmm. candid feedback, blunt, honest things, but more importantly, like feeling emotion and everything and let me ask you guys you know as we continue through this you kind of open up the doorway to the big discussion and you kind of talked about hard discussions hard topics hard things if I can ask you guys like with everything that's occurred in the past couple weeks immediately let's say you watch the video you watch everything that happened to George Floyd and we're about three days let's say we're into that weekend that very first weekend which I think was just last weekend what were your thoughts immediately? And I, I know that probably your guys' thoughts would be different because, I mean, as a black couple, you guys probably have shared thoughts on your people, on Americans, on history, on your parents, everything. But based on profession, I would imagine, Josh, you might have a little bit of a different scope just being a law enforcement officer too. And I'm curious to know that. But immediately, you guys probably had a discussion just like every other American couple, married couple out there, like, what is going on? Look at this. Look at what's happening. And some people swayed with it. Some people were 100% behind it. Like, how did you guys feel immediately when you guys had that discussion with each other? So I can tell you the first thing that went into my mind is my mom's cousin from Jasper, Texas. He, I don't know if you've heard the story, but James Bird Jr. He was a black male who was walking home one night and three white males ended up picking him up. They chained him to the back of a pickup truck and dragged him to death to where his head was decapitated from his body. And so that was my mom's cousin. And so seeing that video made me, you know, think about the racism and stuff that's still going on. But at the same time, as a parent, with, you know, any parent wants to protect their kids. But for me, I pray over our kids every, every night. And the fact that I know that we have, we fear them going out and them going through things like that merely because of the color of their skin. Absolutely. So that was your, your mom's cousin? How long ago was this? This happened in, it was, uh, it was like early 2000. This was early 2000. So you guys were, you were probably in college, you were still in high school at that time? Early 2000? Probably, yeah. So, I mean, was that, let's think about direct family for you, Dorothy, was that your like the first absolute significant event that impacted your family of, I mean, a whole, total different level of like, when we talk about treating people a certain way, like like brutality and racism, that is a, an unbelievable, unfathomable like way for something to happen. But was that your family's first, or what you know, you being aware, was that your the first like real dose of serious racism that occurred or any form of racism? So I, I want to say it was actually 1988, and then the one, yeah, one of the individuals oh. last year, the he was one of three that just you know got the death penalty and was put to death. But that's not the first time. That was the most 
extreme. Yeah, and it's absolutely extreme. But, I mean, of course, my, my family, I mean, Josh has dealt with, you know, racism and different situations where, you know, we have to unfortunately act a certain way or, you know, we're expected to act a certain way just to protect ourselves. So you thought immediately, you were thinking about your mom's cousin. And you were thinking about probably family. You were my thinking kids, about George Floyd's family. Kids. You were thinking about his children. Mm -hmm. Josh, what were you thinking about? Um, You know, when I first saw the video, I was just like, how can another person do this to any individual? Um, being, you know, African-American, I've, I've grown up where I've seen racism. I've seen it firsthand. I, I mean, where I'm from, like I said, you still have blacks on one side, whites on the other. Now, gradually, things have changed. And, like I say, it's better. However, you know, I have been in situations um, when I was in college, I, well, actually, after I finished, um, I had a black avalanche truck, you know, nice rims on it. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I tell this story, and I actually had to tell it to one of my friends, and they, they just they couldn't believe, like, the dynamics. You, you don't want this stuff to exist, but it does. Um, I was driving from Louisiana, I had just, well, from Texas, I had just crossed over into Louisiana, and my truck was nice. I had tinted windows, nice rims on it, and the trooper, as soon as I got across the state line, he passed me, we going the opposite direction, all of a sudden I see something, whoop, he turns around, he gets behind me, rides for like five or ten miles before he actually turns on his lights. Now, granted, you know, me working in, you know, corrections now, I, I know whenever you pull someone's basic up. <laughs> it, it tells basically everything. I've never been arrested. I've never gotten a ticket. I've never been in an accident in my life. But I get pulled over. I pull up on the side of the road. The guy walks up. Now generally when an officer pulls you over, the first thing he asks for is license registration. The first thing this individual asked me was, do I have drugs in my vehicle? Now granted, Joshua was... Self-incrimination right off the bat. Joshua was probably, I don't know, not even a not year old at that time. You had a child in the vehicle. My, my baby girl. Yes. She yeah. wasn't with me. Okay. Dorothy wasn't well, with me, wasn't. but Joshua so, was with me. Okay. We were coming back. My son was with you? My daughter. Oh, oh your daughter. daughter. My oldest daughter. Yeah. daughter. Okay. So this individual asked me, uh, <laughs> do you have any drugs or weapons on you? No, sir. Uh, I, I don't. Uh, <laughs> and he, he then asked for my license and registration. And I gave it to him with no hesitation, no thought process to it. When he came back, he was like, well, I just, you know, we have a lot of, problems going on with drugs coming from Texas to Louisiana. That's understandable. So my next question was, why did you pull me over? Mm -hmm. I wasn't speeding. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I wasn't swerving. And his comeback was, the light on my license plate was out. The little small light was out. And I felt some type of weight. But I was nighttime? Like, well, when you got behind me, right. you have lights on, you can see my license plate. So how is this an issue? And gradually we talked. And it's just one of those things, like I was coaching college basketball at that time. I had worked with his son, who was like 6'9", at one of, one of our camps. Mm -hmm. And as we gradually started talking more and more, and he figured out who I was, the oh, whole conversation wow. changed, the whole dynamic changed. Wow. And he thanked me for working with his kid. Mm -hmm. I, I feel some kind of way, and I felt some kind of way, because in the beginning, just because I, I was, I, I mean, I hate to say it like this, but I was African-American. I had a nice vehicle. The first thing you implement was, I must have drugs on me, or I must be selling drugs. Yeah. Um, it's it's a touchy subject, and and more things of, like that have happened to me throughout my life. Um, I don't want my kids to be judged because of the color of their skin. I don't want anyone to look at me, you know, all my kids, and say, hey, uh, 
this person does this because they're this way. No. I want you to treat me as a human. I want everyone to treat everyone as human. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you know us as a, as a couple, we we love everyone. Like, if I see you tomorrow, you you are my friend now. Like, I know you. You can come to my house. We can, uh, I mean, we can drink together. We can do whatever. We can go party. Um, I, I just think that sometimes, you know, over, over the course of history and over the course of time, things have been implemented and put certain ways um, because maybe someone of my race made it that way, made it look that way. Um, things have changed, and I don't, I don't want people to look at us and, and say, hey, uh, you're black, so you got to be you know, this type of way, or you, know, you got to be this. Stereotyping. That's, that's not it. That's not it. Making titles. You know, judge me as a person. Judge me by my character. Work. By character. By, by my yeah, words. By my character. Let me show you the type of person I am, and we can go forward from there. I think, um, you know, people are struggling with how to start these conversations, which, it, you know, that kind of hurts my heart a little bit and self-convicted me because I think, why are we starting to have these conversations now, right? Why, why have we not been having them for for decades? And um, one of the one of the things that people have identified that helps start these conversations is understanding you have blinders on. And I think it's important for, and I'll, I'll just give you two examples of why I think that I, Paul Hammer, a white man, have have blinders on is because number one, when, when I saw the George Floyd video, I have I have twin twin boys, uh, they'll be four here in a couple weeks. I got a, I got a daughter and I got a 13 year old son. I don't, I, I can't ever envision a scenario where I will worry about them in that respect, right? Like I will worry about them getting hit by a drunk driver or doing something dumb or getting into drugs, but I don't I don't fundamentally worry about them getting pulled over for no reason and getting killed. Like so I think number one that's that's important for me to recognize. Like that's a blinders of mine. When I when I approach these conversations or I watch T V I have to understand that I cannot speak strongly about about matters of that because I cannot empathize and then the other thing too just real quick in 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 the uh, God's country you know Texas um, <laughs> I was I was going from Oklahoma to New Mexico one time and um, I was driving through one of those towns that goes from like whatever the highway is 75 down to like 35, 50 35 15 right and then and then you're immediately back in the 35 and and I got I got cruise control on and I'm I'm going through the town and I had I had gotten a ticket in this one this one town previously because I because I didn't see it and I was going he pulled me over so a couple months later just going through the same town I knew and I I, I adjusted my speed accordingly put my uh, cruise control on and I still got pulled over and the the notion in my head wasn't I'm this this could end up poorly the notion in my mind was the this guy is probably going to look like me and I could talk my way out of this. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it wasn't, it didn't even cross my mind that this was going to end really poorly. I, the, I, the poorest I thought that it was going to end was a ticket. Right? And I'm like, I'm going to talk my way out of this. And I did. So, <laughs> so I think it's important when we're starting these conversations to, and that, that's my, that's my story. Everybody has blinders. Um, but it's important to, to be really, really um, honest with yourself about where you come from and what you can and can't relate to and and steer very clear away from assumptions um so yeah i I think that's big because i think like something that i think the the people that are trying to help right now especially 
white males and white females are trying to say, shut up, it's time to listen. Mm -hmm. We need to listen. And I think that's very important right now. And you're right, like not talking or making assumptions, but not talking on things that you're not, you have no personal experience on, you know, being able to share the thoughts and everything. You're right. You know, a, a lot of the things that's happening right now, and, and I'm going to say this because I work in law enforcement now. Um, I, there are some great officers out there. And I, as a human being, I feel bad for those good cops that are out there, those individuals who have to wear the blue, as we call it. Um, but they're good people. They're good-hearted officers. They mean well. They do well. This one individual and other individuals have made things grow up to this point yeah. and I feel sad because they're having to deal with the, the confrontation mm -hmm. right now and it shouldn't be that way but it is they're dealing with the, the repercussions right. of one individual's yes. actions or, yes. or I guess not just one there are multiple police officers there, there are some and prior to that yes. as well so yes. I, I have a really good friend who's a California highway patrolman and uh, we're keeping up to date with him and his family and uh, we actually went to high school my wife and I with with his wife and that's how we know them. But uh, um, the other night, there was some protests and some rioting going on uh, where they're where they're living at currently, and uh, beer bottles, all kinds of bricks, being, things being thrown at their vehicles, um, them putting their you know lives in line to try and try and control and do keep this parts. safely to keep the protests yeah. at bay, you know, and the rioting, you know, to a minimum. And, but you're right, he's out there putting his life on the line. Yes. And again, it boils down to the actions or inactions yes. of the bystanders yes. there, the police, the police officers that just stood there and watched. And that's, that's what's frustrating to me. That's what, that's what gets me going. You can kind of yes. hear my voice getting escalated here. Uh, but we had a really good conversation yesterday um, in small groups, mm -hmm. uh, Paul and I did. And again, it was sitting back and listening and hearing stories of things that I was not even aware of that happened uh, in the black community. And, and so it was, I mean, I don't know if you had any stories you wanted to share, Paul, but, uh, you know, just some eye openers and, again, just listening and hearing um, with, with, with empathy, like listening with empathy, excuse me, listening with empathy um, and an understanding of where people come from and, and some of the hardships that they've been through. And you were talking about blinders and when it comes to black people, you know, we know these, these things have been going on, you know, for years. And the thing is, is though with Floyd, it was the first time where it was completely filmed, where everybody could see what was you going on. You can see yeah. the individuals mm -hmm. on the street, you know, telling the cop to get off of him. He, you know, he's crying out to his mom. So it's the first time where you're actually visually able to see things that are going on and I think that's that's what's really impacting people in a different way now like we, we've heard we've heard of stories we've read in the news yeah. we've seen the news but it's different when you actually see it really take place well I, I go back to um, you know when I, when I think most of us were kids at the time maybe teenagers for you guys uh, for Paul and Josh but uh, Rodney King I mean that that was comp that was filmed you know um, and obviously what led to that was you know rioting and looting and you know protests as well and why because that was recorded yes. it was filmed mm -hmm. you saw the injustice yeah. you saw and it wasn't just one individual it was multiple police officers mm -hmm. that were there and i don't, I don't want to compare the two situations but the similarities are there 
and the aftermath is there as well and the confusion the frustration and the anger and all that stuff is there and i mean this is early 90s so here we are 30 years later mm-hmm. doing the same thing over again and so that that to me that that's what's frustrating that's that's what gets gets me going yeah it's it's a no wonder people are pissed right like just like you said it, it's happened before with with no market improvements yeah. right i mean you could argue we've we've made marginal improvements. Like you were saying, Josh, your town is probably a little bit better now than it, it was when you were there, but is is it as better as it should be given the amount of time? Probably not, right? Like we can get a man on the moon, but we can't, we can't right. figure this thing out. Um, Dorothy, maybe, I think what would be cool is if you gave your perspective given that you've, you got classes in here, classes are typically how big? Usually there's 16, but the last class has just been nine. Right, we had dual of, seminar. Yeah, and, and you've pushed how many classes? <laughs> You're probably on, what, 10 or 11 10 classes? 10 or 11? Yeah, right, so we're talking, classes now. So yeah, we're talking, you know, a couple hundred airmen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're, we're confident in your capabilities, and so I think that gives you some signature integrity, some credibility, right? PACAF um, Instructor of the Year. So... It, w- what I'm trying to get at is you've got some, you've got some knowledge on seeing seeing a diverse group of airmen. What's your pulse on um, may- maybe a very focused question from from one to ninety nine. One being racism is is not a problem at all in the Air Force. To ninety nine being it dominates every facet of our of our service. Just well, Dorothy Knox is not representing. United States Air Force, but just your... Well, I will say this. I I don't think I could put a percentage on it because I've seen some amazing squadrons where that's not even an issue, but then I've seen small number of NCOs that that are racist towards their troops. So I wouldn't put a number on it because that would then be almost categorizing individuals that aren't like that. Um, Great point. But I definitely say that it, that it's there. I remember there was an incident where I was actually called to step in. It was not my airman, was not my career field, nothing. But it was a black kid. But it was it was a it was a black female. I knew. And the thing is, is the senior master sergeant at the time knew that I, you know, was go I'm going to school to get my social work, my license, and everything right. like that. And with the female was dealing with, and he would he was so respectful, and like again he admitted. He had blinders on, and so he called me in. He told me what had happened, and he was like, "I don't know where to go with this. You know, I don't know how she's feeling. I don't know. I know that it's wrong, but I I can't put myself in her shoes." And so he was trying to get my perspective on it. And while the individual was going through that, she ended up posting what was happening, and I even sat down with the individual. I completely understood where she was coming from but at the same time you know we are held to a higher standard to where if you were having a problem there's other NCOs you don't have to go to your supervisor you don't even have to go to the master sergeant or the superintendent who's in your squadron an NCO is an NCO so you could have went to another NCO in another career field and they should have still stepped in to help you agreed yeah I think I think one thing you mentioned, we've, we've touched on it before, but communication is key, right? Like, a lot of human issues, if we could just get better at talking about things from a, from a human perspective, I think, you know, you kind of, it, maybe you make some strides in this area, but you also make some strides in 
getting after discrimination of other kinds, um, the suicide issue, if, if we're a little bit more connected, maybe people would find um, that they don't have to take that route. So I think communication is, is gonna be huge in this whole thing. Um, any other thoughts from, from your perspective on how, how we can kind of make market changes Understanding that this is, I think it's an endurance event. That's kind of my thought process, yes. right? Like, I, I don't know that we're going to come up with a solution that fixes everything tomorrow. That's not. It's, that's and it's not. It's not going to happen tomorrow. But one thing, and I was telling, I was telling, um, I was say Sergeant Brown. I was telling Chris that I appreciate the fact that he came. You know, we had we were having conversations every day about what's going on, and the fact that he took the time and to hear how I, you know, how I was handling things, how are you, how's your family going? Even though he may, he may not have been able to relate, he cared enough to come to me to see how I was doing as a person. And the fact that we even, for this last class, we had that conversation with the students about what was going on, trying to see how it was impacting them because we had a diverse group of students with this class. And it was important to bring that up and not just act as if nothing's happening on the outside because it is and it's impacting everyone around. Right. Yeah, and I think part of the thing that maybe we have to bake into the culture is normalizing that discussion, right? Not getting some trigger time, getting some reps, having those discussions so that we're better equipped. I think, I think leaders that are finding it easier, still not easy, but easier to have these conversations, we're having tough conversations with people before. Maybe it wasn't about racism, maybe it wasn't about something else, but they were having some tough conversations and they were yeah. developing those connections. Yes. And um, people that are having a tough time, a, a, a really tough time with these conversations and not having the conversations, probably were never comfortable talking about anything, um, you know, outside of just Hey Josh, what's going on? How are you? Right, like as I'm yes. like walking by in the hallway, like don't want to really dive into that. So some of the hottest conversations I think you know as supervisors as leaders is discussions of things that are unethical, immoral, illegal, those types of things. And I think that just like what you guys are saying, just like we were talking about last week, is when you have the discussions, the more discussions are going to follow. Right, yes. they're going to keep going, but you have to break the barrier. Right. Yes. You have to just be like, hey, let's put it aside. Let's just talk. Let's get it out. Let's get it out. And sometimes especially as a team, the team dynamics, you have to be like, let's vent. I want to hear you. Um, Dorothy, if you don't mind me asking, and Josh, I want to come back to you here in a little bit too, because I definitely want to talk more about the law enforcement aspect, but Dorothy, how did you feel about uh, how the Air Force and how Chief Wright addressed everything? Because there's no doubt he is the fuel behind some incredible things that we've done in the past couple of years. And I think what he did, you know, myself, Chris, and Paul talked about this, is that what he did was extremely brave, mm -hmm. and the motivation and the fire that he set within people of all colors, mm -hmm. all ranks, all tiers, but the voice that he made for his community, for the black community, and for all airmen is just, it's needed. And uh, I mean, how did you feel immediately when you when you saw his Facebook post, when you saw the videos, when you saw the interaction with him and General Colby and CSAP? Like, how did you feel about like, man, it did. I got motivated because I kept thinking like, man, 10 years from now, if I'm blessed to still be in the Air Force, my Air Force is gonna be different. Mm -hmm. You know, how did you feel about that? So just reading his first post where he says that he is 
a black man who just so happened to be chief master sergeant of the Air Force right. really hit home because simple statement. For, well, yeah, and it really hit home for me with Josh because when he's in uniform, you know, it's different. Right. But if you take that uniform off of him, he is another black man, and so what happened could happen to him. When you know, the uniform for us at time for him at times may protect him, but when he takes that uniform off, he's another black man. Right. And so that really hit home for me. And the fact that the way he addressed it was so empowering. And it should not just for me being black, but empowering for me to be a person, mm -hmm. just being a person and knowing that, hey, leaders are speaking up. Yeah. Leaders want change for everyone. They want to see the world become better, they want to see people having conversations, and I think it's so important when we have these conversations to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, because you are going to be uncomfortable with these conversations, and that's the only way that you're going to hit that that effective domain within individuals. We kind of talked about that last week's podcast, as we talked about, you know, 10, 15 years ago, senior NCOs, chiefs, you didn't really talk about homosexual airmen, mm -hmm. right? You didn't talk about same-sex marriage, you didn't talk about those things, but then barriers were broken, diminished, eroded, and then the discussions happened, laws started getting passed. Then you start serving, you start, you know, there is, I think we would be doing not only injustice, but I think it is absolutely ignorant to say, you know, that uh, you don't, uh, we love people just like that, of any nature, of any sexuality, or anything like that. Like We've grown so much as an Air Force because we had those tough conversations. And I agree. Like, what you're talking about right now, I think that if we normalize the conversations, if we erode the barriers, I think we're going to see things like in your guys' realms where racism, discrimination is going to be a big facet of PME in the future. Okay. I think the feedback system is going to change here soon. I foresee a lot of changes mm -hmm. in the future based on the the movement that we're making right Great. now. And... Uh, we're on a roller coaster ride for a lot of amazing things that's going to happen. It's people like you guys. I think it's people like this uh, that are on this podcast. The people that we're bringing in, they're going to make effective change. But um, we're not done with Chief Wright. You know, Chief Wright still got some time, and I know he's not the type that's going to give it hundred and ten percent. And General Brown, you know, is yeah. you know right behind him. Oh and, man, General yeah. Brown's video was I like his video was. I, I'll say this: I I was intimidated. Like, I was intimidated because it was so powerful, but y you're watching him look in that video, and I'm thinking, like, he's looking, he's talking to me. Yeah. He's not He's not yeah. talking to public affairs. He's not talking to other I felt like he was talking to Kalen, and he was letting Kalen know what was on his mind. Right. And the story. Yeah, I mean. And I think I think one thing they both allowed us all to do is to, to – I, I think there's sometimes for me anyways there's an idea that I'm an airman and I can't I can't be Paul Hammer and I can't be yeah. I can't identify as I can't be hey I'm a white man I can't say I'm angry or sad or upset or scared or whatever they you look at some statements that they both made um, Chief Wright said said I'm angry about this mm -hmm. right so he by saying that on that platform he's given everybody the freedom to say you can feel a way about this thing yeah. now. He doesn't dis he doesn't discuss it, but I'm sure he would agree. Like you, you still got to be professional, in, you know, in your capacity. But you can be angry, you can be sad, you can be scared, you can be afraid. You can be all these things. Those are human things. So I think I think that was that was super crucial. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, 
So thank you guys both uh, so so much for opening up, sharing your life experiences, telling us about where you've been uh, in your life and your career and what you've done and the experiences that you've been uh, subjected to. So we uh, we close up each session, uh, each podcast uh, episode with uh, what we call our development diet. So uh, if you guys could share, like, what are you guys doing to uh, to stay active, stay hungry, whether it's you know your physical, your mental. Um, Side, what books are you reading? Those kinds of things. Can you uh, uh, can you touch on some of that, Dorothy? And then Josh will go to you next after that. So right now, I for the physical side, I'm actually training to do bodybuilding. I'll do a competition in October. Wow. So that's what I've been training for right now on the physical side. On the for me for the spiritual side, I my mom calls me every morning. We pray every morning before I come into work. I we pray. For you know our family, we give individual prayers for friends and families and things like that. And just recently at our house, we have this area underneath some stairs, and I kind of made the it Harry my, Potter closet. my Harry Potter yeah, closet. Exactly. Yeah. So I made it my prayer. Dirty, nice closet. <laughs> I made it my prayer and meditation area oh, to where nice. I go in there and I will write out prayers for individuals. I write out prayers for Josh. I write out prayers for the kids. And sometimes I just meditate, and that, so that helps me on the spiritual side of things. And when it comes to just, I guess, education, mm-hmm. trying to finish this degree, I want to, I've been working at the Interior Alaska Nonviolent Center, helping women that have been domestic, dealing with domestic violence or sexual assault. So I do that part-time, and that's a passion for me, just any way that I can give back or help individuals, empower individuals. I, I mean, I absolutely love, and I give all my time. And sorry, Ron, he, he gets on me all the time because I am, I get so consumed with like wanting to give back, and a lot of times I'm so busy. And so Josh, he keeps me balanced, and hey, you know, you need to take some time for yourself, or let's go to do this. But I always love giving back and just connecting with other individuals. I think that like, yeah, we do an injustice, and I mean this, Dorothy, like, I think we've already like, We've highlighted your accolades and stuff like numerous times on this podcast, but I really want to say it like it is, you are an incredible NCO. Yeah. And I, I think that Ielson is blessed to have your family and to have you, but good God, like Chris, I'm jealous of you because like, <laughs> can I get like 12 Dorothy Knox? Like yeah. everybody uh, wants a Dorothy Knox and everything yeah, now, but yeah. like you, you have so much behind you and it's, it, it's motivating I think as senior NCOs to know we have a future senior NCO coming up, but we have a tech that is doing crushing. Just cr- like perfect word, Paul. Like, just you are just crushing it. And like, you are just touching people and you are, you are touching hearts and you're making a difference as much as you can in the community. And I, think, I think to reduce you to a fantastic NCO is, is cutting you way short. Yeah, I, I think I think you're a fantastic airman. I, I mean, Josh will probably back this up. Josh, you want to do you want to talk about how fantastic fantastic wife? Well, no, I have yeah. to say this that it if it was not if it was not for him, I wouldn't even be in this. Yeah, no, that's that's a great like, point. Fantastic team, right? Like, like both of you, yeah, yeah absolutely. And um, yeah, I but more than just an NCO, yeah. right? Yeah. And with Josh, I have to say. We were both teaching and, and coaching at the time, and 
there was something, I, I still wanted to join the military. There was something there, like, I, I just felt like I needed to do. And so what we sat down, I said, hey, what do you think about me joining the military? We were already, he was been teaching for nine years. He was coach of the year. He had his, you know, career. Yeah, I'd coach only been, of the year, too. Yeah, you guys are just killing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd only been teaching coaching for maybe a couple of years. Yeah, this two, is high school, two, by years, the way, right? High school. Yeah, so yeah. both teach in high school. One thing, we, another thing we didn't even get a chance yeah. to touch yeah. on. Yeah, so today. much here. Yeah. And then when I sat down with him, I asked him, he's like, is it something you want to do? I was like, yeah, it's like, I think, I think it is. He's like, well, we'll make it work. Go, go see the recruiter. Just like that, like no hesitation nice or anything. Nice. And the fact that he, with us moving around, you know, he hasn't been able to get back into teaching and coaching like he wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But his support, I mean, Imagine if Josh yeah. would have said no. He'd be like, nah, no, no, no. Right? <laughs> don't, don't do it. Like, look we wouldn't be sitting every, here today. Yeah, yeah, we wouldn't be sitting here. But, yeah. like, look how many airmen would have not have been influenced by For sure. Dorothy Knox. Well, and, and Josh's impact, too. Yeah, yeah. People that have, like, he's impacted. So, so, Josh, get back to you. Like, let's, let's hear about your development diet and, and what's going on. What do you do to keep fit and healthy other than chasing your kids around? Um, for me, <laughs> um, I work out. I still work out. You know, we have a little gym at the – Correctional center where we all yeah. go upstairs work out. Uh, I do that probably 30, 45 minutes on my lunch break. Um, I work a lot, honestly. Like on my off days, I'm working mm -hmm. a, a lot. Um, oftentimes, I you know have the kids, or when she needs something done, mm -hmm. you need to take off this day. Okay, so mm -hmm. I'm responsible for the kids during that time frame. Um, I haven't been reading a lot. No, How do you decompress thing? though? Yeah. Like as a law enforcement officer, we're, we're in high tense situations. Mm -hmm. And we're going into locations where we know can be stressful. And let, let me ask you, like, not only feeding yourself and developing yourself, but how are you, how do you decompress? So, at my job, um, I when I go to work, I'm at work. Yeah. When it's time to do stuff at work, where I know I have to go maybe hands on with someone or get on to someone, I do. When I walk out that door, everything. Get in my vehicle. I'm not bringing anything home because I know I have a lovely wife at home. I have my kids who, when I walk in the door, I'm not correction officer Hancock. I am daddy, you know, and that's the first thing you see. They smile, they run and jumping on me. Where my candy, daddy, stuff like that. That makes me smile, and I don't want to bring <laughs> something that has happened to me at work home to them, yeah. to where you know she's feeling some kind of way, you know, because I didn't say something I probably shouldn't have because I'm frustrated with that, or I didn't, you know, got on to my kids when. They just want daddy home, you know, and I, I don't bring it home. I, I don't. Yeah. Um, and if you ever see me at work, I'm, I'm still me. I smile, and my bosses always tell me, you just smile all the time. You talk to everyone. I wouldn't have it no other way. I mean, I, like I say, you show your worth, you get it. I mean, I respect someone, they give you respect in return. And I have been blessed. I've been blessed to have this lady next to me and pushing me a lot of times more than she even realized. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't want to be pushed, but I have to, and I, I appreciate that. Um, but I, I'm just me, man. I'm just yeah. me all the time, and yeah, I, we, uh, and who well, we are. <laughs> well, from me, uh, you know, being around Dorothy as much as I am, like, thank you, like straight up. Um, I know she can't do 90, 95 percent of the things that she wants to do, her passions, her drives, all the things that keeps her going. Um, that she described just a few minutes ago without without you without a strong support system um, without her mom and your family and your sisters and all that stuff um, so again we can't thank you guys enough for, for joining us today uh, for welcome. episode three like this was awesome yeah. yeah 
uh, we're extremely grateful. Uh, you talk about being blessed. We're, we're blessed to have uh, you guys in our lives. And so thank you again for, for being here with us today. Um, from the uh, Unfiltered Leadership crew, we'd just like to thank all of our listeners. Uh, we encourage you to uh, be kind to one another, be thankful, uh, and look out for one another, and, and have a great week. Thank you. Thank you.